Welcome to another episode of Stata Salwada. We're extremely thrilled today to have a very special guest on the program. This person is, is well known to most Egyptian revolutionaries and people who've been following the political progress in Egypt since 2010 to 2011 and even prior to that. Tariq Shalabi is a revolutionary socialist from Cairo. He's an activist, he's a techie, he's a producer of creative content, and is someone who's left his mark on a lot of the revolutionary socialist discourse that came out of Egypt in the last decade or so. And it's crazy to say that it's been almost a decade since the Egyptian revolution. So um, so it's uh, it's a very surreal uh, moment to be reflecting not only on, on his work, but many other things. So it's a thrill to have Tariq with us today. Tariq, welcome to Status. Well, thanks, Adam. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm humbled by this intro, buddy. Oh, no, it's the <laughs> least, least we could say about uh, all the work that you've done and are doing now. Yeah, now we're, we're really delighted to have you, you know, not just, you know, because of your, your history of, of activism and the work that you've done thus far, but, uh, but also to kind of recognize some of your recent contributions in the, in the realm of content production uh, in Egypt from a Marxist perspective. You're you're also like the host and presumably the producer and and the the face of a new program called Bilarabi. It's called Alashmelek uh, or Alashmelik. It has there you uh, go. You got it. You got it. It, it has yeah. a fatha and a kesra on it, so as to be gender neutral. Yeah. Uh, so or gender inclusive, I should say. Gender inclusive. Uh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then uh, in, in English it means to your left and basically exploring. Leftist politics. It's a it's a really amazing show. So I wanted to talk to you about that. But but let's first start off by, you know, talking about you and and who you are and how and a little bit about your the formative informed your your political project and what what your you know what what makes you tick you know what makes you a revolutionary socialist. What does it mean to be a revolutionary socialist in in Egypt? Uh, and maybe a little bit of the history of your. Um, of your um, of your activism and the work that you've been doing both on the ground and to kind of shape help shape uh, Marxist kind of political thought in Egypt. Wow, yeah, there's there's a lot to be said here, but I, I think uh, generally speaking, uh, millions of, of Egyptians and Arabs in general uh, have like a, a before and after when it comes to their uh, revolution. So in my case, uh, the Egyptian revolution is when I kind of started having any sort of serious political consciousness. I mean, there was a lot of thoughts and maybe some participation before it, but nothing uh, significant. I would say that I, I grew up here in Cairo, but I, I did go spend a couple of years in the U.S. for college. And uh, I was uh, I went to Penn State, which was an interesting time, but it's a very white college. You can you get a lot of Confederate flags everywhere. I, know, I don't know if things have changed. I haven't been back since. Uh, this idea of being this Arab, uh, this Muslim, uh, no, I'm not even Muslim. Like, I'm, I mean, I was born Muslim, but I'm not. I'm not a believer or anything. I'm. A, I was actually. I was. I was an atheist before I even got to the U.S. But there's still this culture shock and this identity crisis and this idea that I, I didn't have the space to be myself the way I wanted to be. And I was amongst people who always said, "God bless the troops," and you know, "God bless America, the freest country on earth," and and things like that. And so, that, those were tough times. In that sense, and that's when I start to really start to really hit me what imperialism is like, and what uh, what it's like for you know bigger uh, countries to control uh, weaker and poorer peoples, and um, and that and that kind of uh, got me thinking a little bit. Uh, but I still stand. Uh, 2010, which is the year leading up to the revolution of 
January 2011, is when a lot of us started to get some political consciousness and start talking a lot more politics. You had Twitter uh, start, you know, spreading amongst some uh, middle class and intellectual uh, groups here in Cairo. So it wasn't it was it was elitist. Uh, it was a lot a lot of it was in English, but it was still. A space where we could, you know, talk politics and get together with some like-minded people. There was a lot of forums, uh, blogs, a lot of blogging. In 2010, I started my blog in, in 2009, and where people talking about different topics and stuff. So there was a lot of that. But then the revolution happens, and you just know what it's like. You know, you like, you, all of a sudden, you know, emotions are everywhere. There's this euphoria. There's this empowerment. We feel we can change the world. And then you start talking about, well, what kind of society do you want to build? And we start with all the ideas the, the hegemony, right? The, all the ideas that we've learned growing up, you know, this idea of respecting a country, being proud of your country. These are all like respecting borders, believing in, in that countries are, are separate, taking capitalism for granted, but then making some changes and calling it socialism. These are all things that we, we learn growing up. But in, in my case, I think uh, 2011 was, was significant. And then it's just this idea, the, the fix that you get from uh, doing something, bringing on political change and dreaming of a better world and working towards it. And this is where you start becoming a bit of a Marxist without a cause. Or let's say, let's start by saying you're a rebel without a cause, uh, in which case you just uh, feel like, you know, you want to be in protests, you want to be in clashes, you want those photos, you want to make those tweets and get like lots of retweets, you want to appear in the in the foreign papers where they talk about this, uh, these really cool activists who are taking over the world or leading the world and whatnot. And that's all you kind of, care about at the beginning. And I think this is a necessary phase to go through, being very childish, not having a, um, a, any political theory, not being part of an organization, but you know, thinking very individualistically and working on an individual level and then uh, getting into becoming a bit of a groupie instead of uh, a collective. Um, and, and I think that is fine. I mean, uh, I remember when I kind of got out of that phase, I was a little embarrassed. Though I, by myself and thinking, I can't believe how, you know, so immature to be acting in this way or thinking in that way. But I think it's just the natural progression of things of trying to explore what role you can play. Uh, and then there's always this dynamic about the, the people, right? This exotic term of like, you know, oh, the people want this or want that. And 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 we're like a, a small group of, of activists who are intellectuals and know more than the rest. But then at the same time, we glorify this exotic concept of just the people want this or want that, so we need to fight for the cause and things like that. And then we kind of, you kind of mature, you grow out of it, and uh, you start thinking in in kind of more grounded terms and and think like, okay, so this world sucks the way it is. Um, it doesn't have to be that way. It, it didn't naturally come this way. There's a lot of conditions that took place and a lot of actions that were that were taken by a lot of people over the years that actually got us to where we are. And we can be part of movements that can uh, kind of take us somewhere else. And we can be in a world that is just a much better place to live in, just a cooler place. It's just a place where you don't have to put up with all the shit that we're putting up with it because it's not cool and we can do much better. So tell, tell me a little bit about uh, you know, what, what brought you to Marxism or what, you know, what allowed Marxism to become a resonant, whether it's sort of ideological or political kind of perspective for you and, and how it informed your understanding of society and the world around you. So, so by 2009 or 2010 is when I started thinking about, okay, this world kind of sucks and we can get, we can have something better. And so that's when you start looking, I started looking for alternatives and uh, Marxism was one of the, um, you know, alternative kind of 
analysis uh, of our tools for understanding uh, what's going on and how to change it. And so I kind of started getting into that. Uh, I, I jo so I joined the Revolutionary Socialists uh, about a year after the revolution. Um, and of course, as was the case back then, there was a lot more action on the ground and a lot less reading into theory and understanding you know, his, the historical context and understanding the theory and strategy of how to kind of move forward with the revolutionary movement. And that's what I was saying, talking about earlier, when you become a bit of a rebel without a cause, when you just want the action, but you're not actually thinking strategically. And so I think it took me a few years of uh, after joining the Revolutionary Socialists to actually have read enough and to have engaged in enough debate uh, to have a, a solid understanding. Uh, and I think that's a normal process where I started understanding a lot more like what really Marxism is about. And until today, uh, which is something that I, I think is really cool, is that I'm always learning new things. And I think uh, Marxism is very much alive and it's something that keeps uh, developing and evolving. Uh, and my personal journey with it is that I have a much better understanding of it the more I read and debate uh, about it. And so uh, I, I think Marxism also is, is, um, is very attractive to someone looking for a solution. And it's not a coincidence that 150 years after Das Kapital was written, uh, you know, there's just, it's still one of the most, uh, the best-selling books. And a lot of people all over the world are always uh, looking, going uh, back to it and trying to understand this. And I think at the end of the day, uh, the more I think about it, the more I see that if Marxism is just uh, an understanding of history of how we got to where we are, so like a dialectic materialist analysis of how we got from a prehistoric society to a class society with, with the current capitalist mode of production and the the current uh, setup with you know extreme exploitation and you have like a a small group of people with all the money and power and the majority are just living miserable lives. But also uh, not only that, it's also the tools and the ways in which we can actually uh, use history and try to take control over it together and drive us uh, to a society that goes beyond class and actually reaches a, a post-class society, like what well, people refer to as a communist uh, society. But obviously, this word has a lot of stigma because of you know assholes like Stalin and, and like that. But the idea is going, you know, just a post-class society. And so basically, and that that makes a lot of sense. You gotta keep in mind too that there's this thing about uh, purpose, and I think. Every single quote-unquote activist, I don't like to use this, this word to refer to myself because I think it's just very uh, pretentious, but, but just the idea of anyone who believes that he or she is part of change uh, actually has this, uh, this personal journey of what am I doing, what am I doing this for, when it's not all uh, fine and dandy, do I still do this, and a lot of us just give up or uh, lay low for a little bit until we kind of bounce back again. But I think it's just this idea that uh, we, we want to reach a better world and so basically this is this is the way in which we're going to go about to reach it so the idea here is finding purpose and struggle like at the start of the revolution uh, what we used to do is have like you know unrealistic hopes about how we're gonna since we got over Mubarak got rid of Mubarak we're gonna get rid of uh, a few heads and all of a sudden we're gonna build a, a new free society uh, and that was a childish way and an overly optimistic way of, under, of understanding things analyzing it and then when the coup happened in 2013, it was the ultimate defeat. And then we all felt, or at least I, I did, I felt like I was useless and everything was going to shit. But then you start realizing that things are more complex and there's a lot more you can do. So the idea is, as long as you are uh, fighting to change this world and you're pushing 
to kind of challenge the status quo and kind of uh, uh, pull a little bit of the uh, the economic and, and political power from the ruling elite to the rest of us by doing that that within itself that struggle is what gives purpose and and that within itself fights the alienation and therefore you should be enjoying that ride that journey and also be hopeful and optimistic that we're going to be uh, victorious eventually, even if not soon, but we're just going to be making these massive improvements uh, throughout. And I think that's really important because I think all of us trying to change society uh, need to have some sort of setup or arrangement where we feel like we have purpose and we are actually you know, getting somewhere and every step along the way is something that's rewarding and keeps us going. And I feel that applies to whatever you're doing, what you're doing right now and all the work that you're doing and everyone else in all the different fields. I'm not just talking about the traditional, you know, protest uh, taking to the street kind of uh, uh, agents of change. I'm talking about anyone actually just challenging the power of the ruling elite. You know, that's, that's really terrific. And I'm really glad that you took us on this uh, sort of circuitous uh, roller coaster ride from, you know, uh, rural Pennsylvania and Penn State, you know, in this very like strange kind of like neo-imperial, highly like politicized environment to this kind of, you know, complicated revolutionary process where you as a protester becomes, you become really embroiled in, um, in perhaps naively so at the beginning. Uh, and how what it means to be kind of like uh, a celebrity at the time of revolutionary fervor and then slowly realizing that this utopia is much more complicated and uh, yeah. and, and I and I know that what you're saying is is so much uh, the experience of a lot of young people in Egypt who you know in the in that period of 2010 2002 all the way to 2013 it was like petri dish of political kind of uh, um, workshopping uh, where everything is contemplated and considered and reflected on. And uh, and you ended up sort of finding yourself within the revolutionary socialists at that time. You know, I'm guessing presumably it's because the revolutionary socialists may have reflected some of your own sort of moral um, engagements and, and your inclinations, that you felt somehow that this particular uh, group and what they stand for and their positions during that period best reflected your view of the world, right? More than just, you know, yeah. that uh, that kind of excitement about being like a blogger or an activist at a time when, you know, it's really exciting to be that. But, you know, it was a difficult time and the revolutionary socialists really carved out a very unique place for themselves at, at yeah. odds with, you know, uh, you know, the military establishment, the Islamist political groups, a lot of other leftists who had kind of abandoned socialism whole wholesale you know so it was a it was a very <laughs> unique time yeah exactly no very very well said i think and uh, also you're never gonna find a group that you agree with 100 percent, but you find a group that's close enough and then you start working together and reading together and discussing and debating until you kind of develop together as a group and revolutionary socialist is a trotskyist group and it's a it's a small group but because uh, certain points throughout the past decade we were organized enough we seemed like much bigger than what we actually are and and, uh, and this shows just the power of working together in an organized fashion collectively with uh, people who, who share political stance and, or the theory and vision is actually very powerful and empowering and that's that's what you need you know absolutely and and of course you know as as a member of the revolutionary socialists at this very sort of critical juncture 
in time, you as an individual, as well as the rest of, of your comrades were on the receiving end of a fair amount of criminalization and attacks and, uh, and, and persecution. Some revolutionary socialists lost their lives in the process. It's, you know, those are significant sacrifices that were made by the group. And, and time, you know, when, with, the, with the coup in, in, in 2013, uh, there was like the absolute kind of demoralization of, of all the kind of revolutionary movement, if you will, not just the, the, this particular kind of um, revolutionary socialist approach. But nevertheless, somehow... You seem to, and I don't know if this is true of you specifically, Tare, or there's a contingency within the revolutionary socialists who are able to kind of like pick yourself up by the bootstraps, if you will, and begin to kind of go back to the fundamentals and thinking through, you know, process and outreach and, and community building and advocacy and, and thinking through all of this stuff and not and not sort of surrendering and giving in. Can you tell us a little bit about why, you know, who's stepping up to, to kind of like continue to enliven this field and why you felt compelled to uh, to continue pushing now that you've read what you've read and and contemplated what you've contemplated like why are you or why are you back now at a time when a lot of people who are committed to this kind of change have either surrendered or they're on pause or in hibernation or giving into the status quo at least for the time being that's a very interesting point you're raising here yeah, a lot of the groups have made sacrifices, all the groups, any opposition, even some groups who are not even that, uh, that opposed to CC's military dictatorship. But the majority, uh, almost all the uh, opposition have uh, sacrificed, you know, people have, have had uh, their martyrs or people who have been killed by the regime over the years and have people in prison. We have lost at least four of our comrades uh, behind bars right now and um, the rest are always under threat and it's a it's a really scary time for all of us and it's interesting what you say about picking ourselves up because this is where the personal journey uh, the fight as well as the political strategy actually go hand in hand so this is a, a bit of a dialectic relationship between getting the group together but also picking yourself up now you can't uh, just wait for the group to pick you up and at the same time you can't just pull the group together alone. This is a relationship that has both fighting uh, together and fighting against the biggest enemy that we're facing right now, or maybe just as big as the security threat, is that of uh, disappointment, of being down, and of uh, depression, and and of uh, uh, like hopelessness and helplessness. This is this is the what you actually what you're fighting, what you're up against. So basically, I think trying to find uh, a way to motivate yourself to do any sort of political work in a way that's personally rewarding, and then putting that within a context of the group of uh, group political activity is key. Um, and I think as Egyptians who were very active in the revolution and we had a prominent role as a group and also as individuals, but especially as a group, and then having gone through the counter-revolution, we've learned a lot about how to pick yourself up. and. Um, and I think we're we're still we've still got a long way to go. And even when anyone talks to me about this or anyone who's interested in, in joining the group, I always make it very clear: Hey, listen, listen. We're at a time where being able to make it to a meeting is a struggle, is political struggle, is a achievement, and is a radical act because it's so depressing uh, to do any sort of political activity. So in this case, you try to find the things that you uh, you think you're good at, you think you can do, and you think 
can be rewarding. And by trying to actually focus your political activity through uh, your political action through these activities that actually are rewarding on a personal level, uh, you get other people excited. And the idea is dealing with this depression and ahbat. I don't know what the best way to say ahbat is because uh, demoralization what's, what's, maybe or something. Yeah, demoralization is a good one. Yeah, that's exactly it. So, so trying to fight against that is a political strategy, not just a personal thing. It's actually the biggest hurdle that is stopping us from being a lot bigger and stronger and more organized than we could be. And having the consciousness and a bit of the experience, uh, because over the years I'm no longer, I'm not the young guy I used to be, but I have, and we, we all have like 10 years of experience under our belt. And a lot of the members have like 20, 30, and 40 years uh, of experience. Having that experience actually helps you understand that at times of demoralization, you need to actually put in this personal effort to try to do these little things, even social activities. And I always say this, at, at these times, because it's so bad, things are so bad in Egypt, going out for beers downtown is, in my opinion, considered political, an act of political struggle, because at this point, downtown, which used to be, you know, uh, you know uh, flooded with leftists and revolutionaries all over, because of the political situation, because of the security threat, uh, no one goes there anymore. We've kind of been all kicked out of it. So the idea of going for drinks there and socializing, maybe talking a little bit of change, but without any, without you know anything uh, direct or without being too loud, so that you're not really heard, that within itself is slowly but surely trying to regain our control of one of the areas where we used to uh, get together. I'm not even talking about public spaces. I'm talking about bars where you have to go and and pay for your beer. And I think understanding that achievement is not getting rid of the president because that's not realistic, but is in fact getting closer to the road where we can actually struggle against the ruling elite and eventually with time and a lot of effort and strategy and whatnot overcome class, that is achievement. Every small victory along the way is achievement. I think it takes a, a lot of effort to understand that and then to embrace it. Absolutely, and it looks like that falls squarely into the kind of work that you're doing now sort of dealing with, you know, collective political consciousness as a way of pushing forward towards, like, a struggle for freedom and emancipation for, for, for society at large. So this project uh, to your left, uh, which, you know, doesn't, it doesn't translate as nice as it does in, in, in Arabic, <laughs> because to, to, the le to your left kind of reminds me of that kind of Beyonce song, <laughs> where everybody's, you know, the guy's crap is getting, is tossed to the left. Basically, this is a very kind of unique way to present, uh, to present Marxism and to present, you know, the dilemmas of contemporary life through the lens of, of Marxism. So I'm just going to play a, a few seconds from the intro of one of those episodes just to have our audiences kind of hear the sound of the show. منعونا بأم الفراعنة والرومان والأمويين والعباسيين والفاطميين والأيوبيين والمماليك والعثمانيين ونابليون ومحمد علي والمملكة البريطانية وفؤاد وفاروق ويسقط يسقط حكم المصرف. يا مسائل بونجور يا مسائل كومون تليفون. كل فيلم ومسلسل وبرنامج وإعلان ودرس وكتاب ومؤسسة وشيخ وأب وأم لازم يفكرونا إن الإنسان بطبيعته أناني وطماع. ورؤى الحضارة المتحضرة باستقرارها المستقر وحدثاتها الحديثة كان زماننا بنتصرف بهمجية وعشوائية والسفالة الجنسية. So this is just one of the many uh, intros that are, I mean, it's very snappy, it's very quick, it's very creatively done. Uh, tell me a little bit about how this show was conceived or how these episodes were conceived. 
why why you went to this particular type of set and design and and way of narrating uh, uh, conceptual ideas and ideological ideas. Tell me what audience you're trying to reach and and where like how all of this kind of came together. Wow. So this is about a year ago when I was thinking, you know, um, back then I was just doing a lot of reading and attending all the meetings and doing just the basic activities, which is very limited given the security situation and, you know, the demoralization that you mentioned earlier. And so I was thinking uh, I want to do something uh, so that I can do some political action. Now, this is important here because I was thinking if I'm doing something if I'm doing any sort of political activity, that gives me purpose and it gets me out of the demoralization. It gets me excited and motivated. And if I can motivate and excite the, the people around me, the comrades around me, not even the entire group, but the comrades that I'm in close contact with, that would be a positive thing. And then the entire group, and then eventually start reaching outside of the group. But the idea is still uh, a personal journey, so to speak. And the idea was that I have experience with video I, as uh, working in the tech field in the digital uh, creative field. I, I've done a lot of videos over the years, but they're always for companies that I hated selling products that are absolute shit that no one wants to buy. And then all of a sudden, I can use these skills that capitalism taught me to actually um, for uh, something that makes sense, for something that gives purpose. And that's why I thought I could actually do this from A to Z and I can get this up and running. And it's actually exciting stuff. Uh, so I was thinking, now the problem is uh, all of the, the majority of the content that comes out of Ref Soch, especially in Egypt, is and all over the world actually. Trotskyist groups all over the world are very uh, traditional. Um, you know, it's just a lot of long form text, a lot of classical Arabic, a lot of uh, complicated theory. And right now, because of the counter revolution and because of the success of the counter revolution, our brand, so to speak, has been tarnished. I mean, back in the revolutionary days, people were, you know, would would be proud to associate themselves with the revolutionary socialists. And now, because it's such dire times, no one wants to talk politics and no one wants to be associated with a group that tried to change things and and just failed, like just like every other group. This is not something that's particular to the revolutionary socialists, although it's hit us more than others because of the media attack by uh, the military junta, the military uh, regime, to actually um, attack us personally, us and uh, a couple of the other radical groups who are also have similar ideas. So this, the idea was to rebrand the revolutionary socialists and revolutionary socialism as something that is uh, accessible, as something that is easy to understand, something that makes sense, something that's fun and cool. And by doing that, uh, we can actually create videos, uh, work on some interesting scripts, make this an easy 10-minute video, uh, easy colloquial Arabic, trying to make it funny and, and witty and snappy and with lots of visuals and different references, um, and then have people understand com complicated or quote-unquote complicated concepts because they're not complicated. It's just that I don't think Marx was a great writer. I know this is a, a very popular opinion. Uh, but the way he wrote things is just very boring. Hegel was a horrible writer. And like a lot of the the people um, just take pages and pages to say something that could have been said in a simpler form. But you do need this long form. But this can't be your first step. I think you need a nice and easy, quick intro. You know, if you wanted to learn about farming, you're not going to read no one. I was going to read a, a big book on farming. You're going to start by watching a YouTube video that's a couple of minutes long, and then another video that's 20 minutes, and then an hour, and then you start getting into this big video that talks in 
this big book that talks into all the details about farming. And I think uh, the same should be with uh, revolutionary Marxism, where you should be able to have quick intros to the different concepts uh, that seem complicated but shouldn't be that way. So this, so the idea came that we should be tar targeting the young generations uh, of Egypt, especially all over the Republic, where there are kids who have heard about the revolution, maybe caught a bit of it, but they were too young to kind of grasp it and be actively part of it. And now they're thinking, hey guys, this world sucks and you want to change it. You guys are all, you've all given up and you're staying at home or you've given up on politics. We want to change the world and uh, we want to learn from your experience and we want to know what alternatives are out there to this horrible world we live in. Um, and not a lot of them, are, not a lot of people are talking to this young generation. And I thought it would be really cool if I can try to uh, utilize the, um, the skills and capabilities that I've kind of acquired over the years to try to send the message across and say, hey, you know, just by watching a few minutes of an entertaining video, you can understand a lot and you can get the conversation going. And then if you're interested, check out these articles. And if you're still interested, check out these books. And if you're still interested, you know, why don't you join? Because that's the point. You want to get more and more people politically involved. And you're going to want to get as many people as possible debating, even if they disagree, just debating about the current situation, how we can change it and different ideas of changing the world is benefit to us all. But the original idea was rebranding these ideas and doing some sort of political activity that would give me purpose and that would get people around me involved and that slowly but surely would start reaching to an audience. And I think so far, you know, thankfully it's, it's been going all right. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, the, that sort of response, the feedback, the audience, like what has it done? Do you feel like you're starting to kind of tap into that um, audience and community that you've been trying to reach? Do you feel like, I mean, it's it's a very charismatic way of presenting the material, and you're right, it is very savvy, very witty, very contemporary, and, and highly relatable for anyone in, in the age group of like 15 to 35. So it's definitely, you know, it definitely has all of those kind of characteristics that would serve as like a hook to, to kind of bring people in. And it also speaks about you know, the real sort of struggles of day-to-day -day life, making a living, you know, making ends meet, you know, political exploitation, economic exploitation, they're all things that are deeply sort of um, resonant with, with audiences. But what's the, what's the response been like? I mean, I'm looking at the number of views and, you know, most of them have at least a few thousand uh, views with varying degrees of like popularity and circulation and likes. But what does this look like to you? From in terms of like analyzing audience response, thanks for love and support. I did a very uh, beautiful, uh, supportive words there to describe the well, what the show's been like. But yeah, we uh, on Facebook, it's been uh, pretty successful by our standards, at least. I mean, uh, all the episodes have between one hundred thousand to three hundred thousand views, and that is that is massive. We've never we never used to get these numbers. Even during the height of the revolution, we didn't we never got these numbers on YouTube. We you, episodes get about five thousand views or whatever, but that's because we ha we're not focused on YouTube and in Egypt it's not it's it's difficult to tap into YouTube. It's a lot easier to engage in in debate and reach out to the people on Facebook, especially with all the targeting and and you know how you can reach the tailor it and reach the right audience. So it's been uh, pretty successful. It's interesting because uh, the first episode I did everything pretty much from start to finish alone. It was on alienation. It was something that I, I'm very passionate about that I had some experience with and I've written about before. And then did that as a way to present it internally and be like, hey, guys, this is what this is what the show is like. 
I want support in this. I want us to work as a group on this. I want us to be something that RevSoch takes on. And I was I was able to get people uh, on board of this. And I think it's really important to remember that all political groups were not and not everyone's on board all the time. And a lot of the work happens internally. And that's part of the struggle externally. Like you need to be able to get everyone internally on board and involved. Uh, and then, you know, I have more and more people playing a better, better role. And that's why the episodes have been and still are improving from one to the other because we're learning a lot. I mean, we, we used to mess up uh, a lot and then, you know, we still make a lot of mistakes, but they're a lot less than the ones we started with because we're learning as you go and because more and more people are involved and i think the biggest achievement here is not just that we're getting we've got like one and a half million views across uh, season one something that's an amazing feature that we're all very proud of but i think the biggest achievement is that there are tens and tens of different dozens of different people who actually have come together to work on the show and work on different aspects from like technical stuff to the script to research to the visuals to uh analytics and spreading and spreading to the monetary contribution, the small monetary contributions that are used to actually sponsor the videos that actually it can actually reach the audience because Facebook will never give you enough reach on its own. So all these things, this is the biggest achievement uh, because we're coming together and we're doing political struggle together. Like we're, we're, we're actually doing some political activity. And then also getting uh, all these views because, you know, uh, the revolutionary socialists, whenever you post anything, you need to have the, there's always the groups of people are going to go in, come in and just, you know, cuss at you because that's, that's how the rev counter-revolution uh, placed us. And that's the controversy of some of the positions that we've taken. So for example, we're famous for supporting, you know, LGBT rights, which is a very unpopular opinion. And so, you know, a lot of times we'll have people come in and we'll talk about something unrelated. We can say, as I mentioned, something about Turkey or Iran or, or Libya. And then someone will come in and be like, yeah, I might agree with that, but I, I hate you guys because you support and then use a derogatory term to describe homosexuals, you know. Um, so there's all these things and it's, it's, a, it's a minefield and it's very difficult to manage, but that's how it is. If you are going to be a radical group trying to change drastically the ideas that are the ideas of the ruling class and, and the hegemony, you're trying to take on hegemony, then it's, you have to expect that uh, you're going to have a lot of unpopular opinions and people are going to try to keep shooting down. But on the flip side of it, I think the most rewarding messages uh, I get, and I get a, we get a lot of that, is people sharing the episodes and saying, I don't tend to agree uh, with the revolutionary socialists, but I like this video. This is just like music to my ears because this just shows that people uh, have these uh, misconceptions when it comes to revolutionary Marxism and when it comes to the revolutionary socialists in particular because of all the counter-revolutionary efforts to kind of tarnish our reputation. So uh, the fact that people are reconsidering and they're, and they're opening up and they're kind of changing their opinion, that's awesome. If someone says, uh, all the people say, this is awesome, keep going, well, you know, this is a bit of an echo chamber. You know, we're just talking to people, preaching to the to the same crowd, and that doesn't get us anywhere. At the same time, the, the other end, people are always going to insult whatever you do because they have a fundamental difference with you, especially if they're supportive of the regime or if they are, uh, uh, you know, hardcore, hardline Islamists who are against any other opposition that is not an Islamist group, then it's going to be very, very difficult to ever win those people over. And those are not the target audience. The target audience is young people who... Uh, have the potential to take on these ideas and are willing to debate them and are willing to challenge you and they're willing to get into a conversation and then slowly but surely take on these ideas and 
add to them or or take part of the political action and and there's been a lot of that happening and that has helped us as a group fight uh, against this this the demoralization and uh, feel like we are getting somewhere and we're achieving things and i and i couldn't be prouder this is this is what i've wanted to do and it's awesome uh, it just it's it's absolutely great that's it's terrific, and I'm I'm really delighted and, and thrilled to hear that. I've been following them on YouTube, so I wasn't even aware of of how much more promising the analytics were on on Facebook as well. So this is even more exciting to to learn that uh, that they're traveling as far and wide as they have. Of course, by looking at the product itself, I can tell like aesthetically, stylistically, uh, it, it there's a fair amount of like creativity and innovation and a remarkable amount of research. That, that goes into it and there's a lot of like you know post-production and and editing so it's it's a very refined low budget but nevertheless refined you know uh work um and i'm th thrilled to hear that there are large teams of people who are kind of coming together and converging uh to to put this forward so it seems to me like the mobilization has already started to unfold at least at the at the level of production which is usually the the best place to go because these individuals are investing in um, in uh, in not only producing the content but propagating it. So this is all very very promising. I'm especially encouraged uh, by what by what you're saying that you know groups or individuals who wouldn't necessarily align themselves with revolutionary socialists or revolutionary Marxists as kind of a political positionality are seeing messages that to them are fairly relatable. So I want to get into, if you don't mind, some of the actual content of these episodes. I'm just going to do like a really quick readout for our listeners uh, about the, you know, some of the different episodes. And you had already mentioned the first one, one of your favorite topics, uh, this issue of alienation. Uh, the second episode was reg with regards to exploitation. And the third is called The Necessary Evil. Uh, Socialists, my ass, is the one we, sh we played an intro for, uh, sort of... Uh, reprimanding, uh, you know, or, or at least calling out uh, various kind of government structures and, and former leaders on their sort of uh, disingenuous application of, of socialism. And then another episode about money, another one about religion, uh, the working class, civilization, uh, where's the tech, why do economies uh, crash, uh, and then the last, I think I would suppose the most recent one, which I which I also tremendously enjoyed, is on Marxism and and women. So the women and all of these episodes are uh, sort of uh, operationalizations of Marxist thought, but they are deeply entrenched in sort of a an an Egyptian or Arab or Middle Eastern or global South uh, interpretation of how Marxism is meaningful to these communities and societies. So tell me a little bit about the content itself, how it's developed, why it's developed, why these topics are selected, you know, who, you know, who comes together to, to discuss these and, uh, you know, how is an episode brought to, to life? Wow. Thanks for all the love and support, buddy. You're like really encouraging me here. That's, uh, I'm flattered. Um, the, the basically when we start to choose the topics, um, we have a different, like we've developed this process kind of organically and it's been improving from one episode to the other where we have to balance between a couple of different factors here. First of all, there's the core uh, um, concepts, the, the, the theory, right, Marxist theory. So things like, you know, exploitation about uh, the, uh, um, you know, alienation, the working day, mode of production, you know, things like that. These are core concepts 
that you want to uh, talk about. And these are kind of the different uh, parts of the Das Kapital and uh, the, the first things you kind of learn when you get into theory and a lot of ideas are built on them. But you can't just talk theory because it gets really boring and it seems very abstract. So that's one uh, aspect of the decision making. The second one is uh, when there's a misconception about the revolutionary socialists and there's like stigmatized. So we've got a we had a couple of ideas, a couple of stances that were very popular and misconceptions against us. So one of them was that we supported Abdel Nasser and Stalin and the Soviet Union. So we had to create an episode to say, guys, this is state capitalism and it sucks and has nothing to do with us. And we do not have play any part in this. And we hate it just as more than you guys do. And so this was very important. This was episode four that you mentioned where, uh, where we called it socialists my ass. And this was referring to state capitalism and why this is not us. So that's another aspect of doing it. We also did the same when you picked religion, because there was this idea that we're all hardcore atheists and that we are anti-religion. And so we, we created this episode, we put it together to, to explain, hey guys, listen, we uh, we don't care. You know, you could be the most religious person on earth or the hard, biggest atheist. What really matters is what you stand for. Do you stand for, or do you want to fight against the, the ruling elite and, you know, get get rid of capitalism and reach a post-class society together. If that's what you want to do, welcome aboard. If that's not what you want to do, I don't care. What, it, it, the religions can be interpreted one way or another, and it depends on, on your political ideology. And so this is something else, and that's why that was a very popular episode, because it got a lot of people thinking, oh, wait, okay, so the revolutionary socialists aren't against the, the hijab or the niqab, or uh, they're not against Muslims or Christians, or that you don't have to be an atheist, and that... And that was an important episode. So that's another aspect. There's also this idea of uh, questions that people keep asking. Uh, so there might be an idea, uh, uh, one of the questions uh, would be, you know, so how did, how did this work in Egypt? Or what's the solution? Or uh, uh, then give us an example of something that worked. And that's why we had to talk about the working class. And this was uh, kind of an introduction to the solution, which is going to be a series of episodes, but at least the kind of the foundation of it is why the working class is the class that can take us forward and lead the revolution and fight capitalism. And then there's also, uh, if we want to, if there's a topic that we want to talk about and we need to build up to it, because sometimes if you want to talk about something, let's say, for example, Marxism and women, you need to explain some concepts related to uh, uh, competition, related to uh, uh, things like the mode of production and, and uh, the progression of the different uh, modes of production starting from when class society originated with uh, agriculture or like right after agriculture and all the different kind of stages. So these are all things that we needed to talk about to, in order to reach. So these are all the different aspects and it's always a group effort. Like uh, even though it's just me uh, on the camera, well, obviously we get guests and stuff and it's, uh, and it's a lot of fun, but it's mostly just me. But there's like, uh, core team of like six or seven people where we were all working constantly throughout the episode. And the last episode, uh, the one on Marxism and Women, which was the season finale, we had a total of 27 people involved, I mean, to varying degrees, but 27 people, 22 of which are women, involved to uh, and actively partaking to come up with an episode that works for everyone. So it was also a big uh, collective effort. And that's how we kind of choose our topics and decide what we're going to be talking about. That's, a, that's amazing, and, and it seems like a, a very deliberative, consensual kind of discussion around how to render uh, a lot of these conceptual ideas both accessible but also remarkably profound. So I think there's, there's certainly, there may be a, sort of a simplification of terms, as you said, you know, moving away from like the Hegelian way of, of, of talking and, and discoursing, 
uh, but it, it's certainly not a dumbing down of, of the concepts at all. It's actually, uh, if anything, a really sort of creative way of rendering these ideas and concepts extremely relatable to day-to-day -day life. And I think the use of, uh, there's, there's also like the strategic use of, of photos and images and, and sort of like folkloric kind of uh, ideas and, uh, you know, uh, images from theatrical performances and masrahiyat and, and prominent films and memes. There's just so much packed into each and every one of these episodes that makes it kind of enthralling to watch as well. So that, that has been, uh, you know, particularly uh, intriguing, I think, for, for most audiences. I want to talk to you a little bit about where it goes from here. So this is, you're, you said that the last episode, Marxism and, and Women, which presumably is episode number 11, is the end of a quote-unquote season. Given the success that you've already registered, given that this is continuing the conversation and keeping people engaged in in some of this um, the, the not only the conceptual but the practical work of of considering marxism in day-to-day -day life uh in egypt where do you see things going from here is there another season another 11 episodes are you moving laterally towards other projects that have similar ideas or translate this information in a different way where do you see this going is this something that is gonna continue to to sort of self-perpetuate yeah, well, there's obviously we want to have a season two, um, and we want to kick that off with the episode on uh, Labor Day. Labor Day in Egypt is May first. I think it's different in the U.S. Everywhere in the world, it's May first, um, and so basically uh, that would be a, a suitable time to start episode one of season two. Uh, that's the plan. So the plan is uh, take some time off because th this was a lot of work and it was a lot to take in and. Uh, we dedicated a lot and a lot of hours, and uh, it, it, sometimes it's not very sustainable, but then again, these are the political ambitions that we have whenever you want to actually spread ideas. There's always more that you can do, and you're always understaffed or whatever. There's always not enough resources, because we all want to change the world. Like I'm not just talking about Marxists here, but I'm taking any opposition group. We want to spread ideas to change the world, and that's a lot of work, and we're always uh, on the margins. And so basically, uh, we, we're taking some time off and then coming back with season two. But also the idea is to have a process in place. And this is where political strategy and actual tactics, political tactics, is part of the struggle. So it's not just about the outcome, but actually getting people together, having a division of labor. Ironically, we always, you know, very good at division of labor when it comes to serving capitalists and working for them, giving up our, our hours and days so that someone else can make profit. Uh, but when it comes to these you know, revolutionary projects of all types, it's a lot more difficult to do a division of labor because uh, we're just tired. We spent the entire day working for someone uh, completely alienated. We're exhausted after so many hours and so much hard work and such little money and, and relatively little reward because we're competing with the big companies who keep uh, sending counter-revolutionary messages with much deeper pockets. But that is the political struggle, to actually get the work done, be organized, get people together, have a process in place. Uh, every person does what he or she needs to do so that the following person can pick up where they left off and take it to the next level. And that's something that we want to actually work on. Uh, not to mention also trying to up the production a, a little bit. I mean, it's still going to be, you know, the low budget, uh, as you mentioned earlier, and, you know, with all three and, and just using, you know, I'm shooting these episodes in my, literally in my bedroom and 
you know, I only have, you know, just another comrade who comes in with her camera and, you know, and we shoot the episode. Sometimes you have guests and other people involved in the shoot, but it's usually just me and her getting this done. Uh, and then also, and so, so basically it's just trying to get uh, everyone uh, involved and getting another uh, season. And the idea is to actually have other video content involved. And this comes in various forms. We want to have uh, long form video content carried out by others. I mean, the success here would be for me to play a smaller role in this show, even if it's even if I'm still the one presenting it, and I'm perfectly fine uh, not presenting it or co-hosting it with a bunch of people. I think that makes much more uh, sense and it's much more fun. The last episode, Marxism and Women, which is arguably you know, which is probably our, our most successful episode so far, I appeared two or three times for a few seconds, and the rest of the episode was just different women, different shapes and colors. Uh, of women from uh, different walks of life presenting uh, the script that, you know, 27 people worked on, 22 of which are women. And so that is something that we can do. The smaller role I play and the more sustainable the show is, the more, the closer we are to achieving our political goals. So this is where organization is directly correlating with the political ambitions. And at the same time, having different video projects that I'm either playing a very small role in or not involved in at all is also very important because I think given the limited space taken on or the lack of space, so to speak, because you don't have any public spaces or free speech or, or any areas where we can actually express our ideas or speak freely and we're always risking being thrown behind bars like uh, many of our comrades are, the idea is to actually exploit, you know, ironically, no pun intended, exploit the, the spaces available to us. And the video space on Facebook and also on YouTube, but especially Facebook, is available for us. And if we play our cards right and not be stupid about, you know, attacking the military regime directly, but actually trying to be smart about it and trying to get the message across without upsetting the authorities, we can actually get a lot done. And I, I'd love for more and more video content to come out of the Revolutionary Socialists. And I'd also love for a lot of video content to come out of the different uh, groups because getting that discussion uh, going is in our favor, all of us as proponents of, of change. Um, so that's something that I'm uh, hoping for. And I also want to get into more sophisticated topics and more recent history stuff, you know, and get more into like uh, colonialism and, and slavery, talk about the Cold War and all the things that were happening, also get into uh, uh, the struggle for like all the different fights of, for independence and, and maybe things like getting into the details of the mode of production and what kind of mode of production we are uh, longing for as we are overcoming classes. So there's a lot of things that we can do moving forward. That's really terrific, and it sounds it sounds like a, a very exciting and, and, and promising project moving forward. My, my other curiosity is whether or not you uh, have considered or thought of expanding the content for a wider audience beyond the boundaries of, of Egyptian society, namely revolutionary socialists or people who have either similar inclinations or similar curiosities across the Middle East or in Arabic-speaking communities, uh, or even the Global South, the Middle East and North Africa uh, at large. Are those on your radar, or are you more convinced that you know local work is, is the most urgent, the most immediate, and the, and the closest uh, to, uh, to, to being actualized in the interim period? Uh, that's a very interesting point because as Trotskyists, uh, we're international socialists and uh, we uh, obviously embrace the permanent revolution and we see the struggle of working class anywhere in the world as a contribution to our struggle, direct contribution, and that we need to work together. But obviously there's a lack of resources and, it, there's a, 
and it's it's very difficult to focus on that. And that's why the prior priority, like if we we're to prioritize an order, was for me to get my shit together, for the people close to me to get their shit together, for the group to kind of start getting involved and working, for the people close to the group to start listening and participating, and then to reach the circles around us until the circles beyond us within Egypt and then eventually the Arab world and then at the very end, the entire world. I think that's kind of the order. So that's why we couldn't afford uh, to put more effort than what we did. We have all the episodes subtitled in English. If you watch them on YouTube, you'll find English subtitles. And we're, we want to actually subtitle them in other languages, but we don't have the means uh, or the luxury to you know, target uh, different groups and what we're doing is so that in order to have better content it needs to be really localized and maybe hyper localized if it's going to be generic so that everyone uh, you know all over the world can understand it and you know avoiding strictly uh, you know Egyptian pop culture references then it's going to it's not going to be as interesting and it's not going to be as attractive to the local audience so that's why the focus here has been with the local audience but I do think the content works with the Arab world and we have a lot of, uh, a significant portion of the audience on the Revolutionary Socialists Facebook page uh, from different parts of the Arab world who have followed us over the years uh, because of, you know, our, you know, of the revolution and how we've always supported the movements all over the Arab world, like in Sudan and Lebanon and uh, Algeria, uh, as of recent years in Iraq, but also uh, over the course of the decade with Tunisia and, and Morocco and all the different Arab countries. Um, uh, but when we target these episodes, we always have like a small budget that we put together, like let's say 40 or 50 bucks that we kind of collect from, from one another and we put it in, in Facebook ads to try to reach an audience. We always target people within, uh, within the borders of Egypt and then it always kind of spills over to some revolutionaries across the Arab world. But with the last episode, Marxism and women, what we did was we targeted only women and women who are into feminism and gender and, and uh, things like that. And uh, across the five or six different Arab countries, you know, especially ones where there's a lot of political activities like uh, Lebanon and Tunisia and Algeria and stuff. And the results were very positive because a lot of uh, Arab women have engaged with the episode and, and have shared it and commented and you know liked and and have gotten into conversations with their circles about the topic that we have kind of uh, presented so i think this is awesome and if the upcoming season we can focus on a more international audience that would be awesome but you got to keep in mind uh, the biggest the best episodes we've got so far only had 300,000 views i mean that is awesome of course that is an amazing feat and we're very proud that we got 300,000 views on on a couple of the episodes but in a country of 100 million and in a country where the in a market where the the most influential video content creators get two, three, and four million views per video, and have obviously massive budgets. If we're talking about the the Islamists and the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, you have the big people out of London and and Turkey and whatnot who who have you know get two or three million views, and then those within within Egypt uh, or, or what have you also get you know one or two uh, million views. And so what we want to do is. Once we reach that kind of uh, glass ceiling or like, let's say that uh, ambitious goal of getting a million views or two million views per episode, then it would make sense to actually shift our attention or to put a lot of focus on the rest of the Arab world, like the leaders do, like the, the Islamists do in their video content, which they broadcast from abroad. But I think it's important to 
for the time being to try to get as much as possible from uh, the local uh, scene, the local movements, uh, because those are the ones we can be in touch with. And once we have the space to take this offline, which would be awesome, and actually take it take to the streets or meet in public areas or meet in, in uh, just physical spaces, then all of the effort that we're doing to connect with people locally will pay off a lot more than the effort we'll do to connect with, you know, revolutionaries in Tunisia or Morocco, you know what I mean? No, absolutely, and it sounds like an extremely reasonable and very cogent uh, decision uh, to make, and, and at the same time, you're sort of building a, sort of a bedrock, strong, solidaristic support within a community that you, you know and, and have worked with quite, quite closely, and use that as both an impetus for further kind of growth beyond that. But that sounds perfectly reasonable. Uh, tell me a little bit about what message you would like, I mean, not that you're designing these messages specifically for for Western audiences, of course, the, the primary target are Egyptians and people uh, who are um, in a position to impact the Egyptian political milieu. But tell me a little bit about what message could be gleaned by non-Egyptian or primarily Western Marxists about the the content that you're producing. Is there something that kind of like that should reverberate back out that can help us kind of interpret and understand what Marxism in its Egypt or in its kind of revolutionary socialist kind of Egyptian modality looks like? It's interesting because we we tend to uh, read a lot of the works by uh, American and British um, socialists, you know, and the SWP in the UK and things. And these are really amazing people who've inspired us. Uh, John Molyneux is, is someone who I admire and I've had the privilege of meeting before. And, and you know, uh, Chris Harmon and, and all these really, really cool, cool uh, Marxists. And there's like dozens and dozens of contemporary um, uh, Marxists and Trotskyists who write really good to create really good content that we read and we've translated into Arabic so that we can read. And I think that's cool. Uh, but people usually come to the revolutionary socialists in Egypt to learn about things that are related to uh, the context in Egypt. So things like dealing with the Islamists or religion or the military coup or the fight against the new imperialism and things like that. What I like about the show and what I think it'd be awesome if we could actually achieve is to have all these Marxists all over the world come and watch our video content to learn about Marxism, not to learn about the Egyptian context only, but to actually, you know, take our take understanding and analysis and presentation of these core concepts and of these important concepts. So it would be amazing if, for example, as part of the onboarding program for uh, comrades joining the SWP in the UK, they do some reading by some of the big SWP people, but they also watch the videos by the guys in Cairo, by the you know men and women in Cairo who are uh, working on um, a video uh, content that explains things in a way that works better for some people than some of the other stuff. I think that would be awesome, and I wish that could happen. And I know um, people don't have a problem with that. Like I know if there's there isn't a problem where, for example, the socialists across the, the Western Hemisphere or the Global North, as we can call it, uh, uh, refuse to rely on Egyptian uh, content for that. But it's just traditionally how things have been laid out. 
we haven't been the go-to people for things related to core theory and to the application and strategy and tactics and stuff that are kind of uh, for the global uh, movement, not just particularly to Egypt. So that would be awesome, of course, and I wish, you, and and that's that's why it's part of focusing our efforts on making this content more international so that other people can use it. And also, I wish you can inspire the rest of the comrades across the Arab world to create their own stuff. I'm actually working with uh, someone who I met through these episodes who reached out to me to try to give a workshop in Tunisia to teach comrades there uh, and different leftist groups, not just the revolutionary socialists, but like all the different groups on the left, how to create their own video content in their own dialect and talk about their uh, experiences and their way of doing things and become independent as opposed to relying on the Egyptians to provide them with a sort of insight. And I think this would be awesome if you can pull it off. Absolutely. And I mean, I think this is precisely kind of uh, the mission that you had articulated previously about this being sort of a transnational movement and and uh, how lessons learned should be of use to communities of workers uh, and, and comrades the world over. So if this is an opportunity that presents itself, I you know, it sounds great that you're more than happy to kind of to take it up and and presumably it may very well materialize. I think it's it would be great to encourage the viewership and the reflection around on these episodes in SWP and various other uh, sort of collectives, not just in in Europe and uh, continental Europe and and the UK, but also in North America, perhaps even in in uh, rural Pennsylvania, where where the, where the journey started. You know, <laughs> I don't know if we'll be that successful, but hopefully one day, and you stop know. seeing Confederate flag, but instead see the communist flags in in rural Pennsylvania. <laughs> well, you know, one step at a time. There's uh, Bernie Bernie Sanders making some waves. That's at, true. At least true. It's amazing. Where, That's and, phenomenal. In fact, today it's interesting that we're having this conversation today, where for the first time there's someone who, I mean, of course he's part of the American political establishment, but nevertheless is very unabashedly open about describing his political kind of uh, formative. Uh, understanding is being grounded in in socialism, and is happy to embrace whatever stigma that comes with that. Uh, but uh, he today just won uh, New Hampshire, which which puts yes. him ahead of all the other candidates. Yeah, it's phenomenal. It's absolutely amazing. And we actually reference Bernie Sanders in the episodes a lot when we talk about uh, there's that there's a lot of current movements uh, fighting against the capitalist class and the ruling elite. And we always uh, we used to mention Jeremy Corbyn before that went to shit. Um, and then we all also mentioned uh, Pablo Iglesias in Podemos, which has been going really well. And this guy's right, you know, vice president and actively part of the Spanish government. Um, and then also the uh, we always mentioned Bernie Sanders as an example of movements happening right now that are breaking down or fighting against capitalism. Obviously, Bernie Sanders is not perfect, but he's the best goddamn candidate this world has to offer right now, and someone who is not so far from becoming the president of the most uh, powerful and important uh, government in the world. And I think that's just uh, phenomenal. Even if he doesn't make it, and you know, there's a lot to be said here, and that's a different topic altogether, the fact that he is having this campaign, and is, like you were saying, introducing things like socialism, or saying the billionaire class, or taking it from a class perspective, or uh, 
and being uh, or like uh, bringing in people of different shapes and colors to work on the campaign um, is phenomenal. And that's something that's really keeping us going. And that's one of the inspirations that we have. Like this is it's always a, a back and forth kind of relationship where we are inspired by things that have, are happening worldwide. And we inspire people like the Arab Spring inspired the 15M movement in Spain and the Occupy movement all over in, in, the, in the start in Wall Street and spread all over the world. But at the same time, uh, Bernie Sanders, which you know one might argue is like an, uh, something that was built on the Occupy movement, is inspiring us, even though we were the ones who kind of inspired the revolutionary movements uh, in the US in, in the last, in 2011, 2012. So I think this is amazing. It's, it's amazing that you're saying that because I, just before, this interview, I had an opportunity to interview one of Bernie Sanders's national surrogates, and he's um, his name is uh, Ramesh uh, Srinivasan, professor of sociology of technology at UCLA. I mean, one of the things that he said quite explicitly was that the Bernie Sanders campaign and you know uh, socialists in the United States have learned a fair amount from the Arab uprisings, and he himself, Ramesh, had spent a fair amount of time in Egypt during the revolution sort of observing how technology is being used and how communities are, are you know, building capacities and coming together and producing messaging that is, um, that is uh, compelling and, and mobilizing for communities at large. So there's definitely some, some synergy and some connections that have been already kind of laid by, uh, by the Egyptian revolution. I think it's, it's fascinating to watch how far and wide the Egyptian revolutionary movement, especially a lot of the work that's been done by the revolutionary socialists between 2010 and even prior, but 2010 all the way through to 2013, uh, has been um, how it, the extent to which it's been very informative uh, and impactful far beyond the boundaries of the Egyptian nation state. Yeah. So. Very much so. Very exciting stuff. So um, I'm glad that you know this interview is going to be featured alongside that one to kind of think about you know political change happening on opposite ends of the Atlantic Ocean. Very yeah, it's, it's the same fight. It's the same fight. I mean, it's it's really really cool. I mean, I'm I, I think we'd all we're all honored and flattered that the Bernie Sanders movement would, has any sort of tribute to the uh, move the revolutionary movements that we tried and most of us failed. But you know, Tunisia's is doing all right. Um, and this is something that, that makes me proud. And I think I'm, I'm also very proud. Whenever Bernie Sanders wins something uh, or gets a step closer to power, we all feel empowered. Uh, and, uh, and the contrary also happens when Bolsonaro uh, took over Brazil. It, it sucked for all of us, even though you think that Brazil is very disconnected or is a different world from Egypt. But no, it affects us all. And there's a rise of the right and fascism and whatnot. But then you see Bernie Sanders coming closer to power and it's inspiring. Absolutely. So that's that's great. Absolutely, and in, and just to kind of like add another optimistic uh, note, for the first time in since uh, Modi came to power in in India, we have a defeat of his party in the New Delhi elections, which is a yeah. kind of you know uh, breakthrough by the AAP party, which has been in alliance with the Communist Party for quite some time. So progressive politics are somehow. You know they're not they're not to be dismissed and and, uh, and forgotten wholesale just yet. So since the the financial crisis of uh, 2008, people have been looking for alternatives, and the the masses have always gone either right or left, and the right 
has been successful in recent years with the likes of Bolsonaro, the entire governments of, of Europe and Macron and uh, Merkel and uh, all these are just like uh, right new liberal uh, governments uh, and Trump obviously uh, and the same with the UK but then uh, the left uh, has a golden opportunity that we can present ourselves and I'm talking about the left at large not just you know the revolutionary Marxists which is a a small part of the wider left, uh, we have an opportunity to present ourselves as an alternative to uh, the current uh, right-wing uprising and say, hey guys, we can, we have a solution. And just the, trying to be down the middle, just, this doesn't cut it. It doesn't cut it anymore. And it's, it's the left against the right. And we got to get our shit together. Um, so otherwise the right are going to gain more grounds. And we have a golden opportunity to take over it, to spread our ideas and to establish ourselves as the, the ruling uh, movement and the ruling ideology you know what i mean and you know what you've done with to the left the show and and the various other efforts you've been involved in is in no small measure one significant contribution to expanding the debate and keeping the conversation alive and, and wealthy uh in egypt that has been so inspirational in the last you know decade or so in in the sense that it's it's given a lot of revolutionaries around the world a sense of purpose a sense of of meaning and some kind of modicum of hope even though <laughs> the status quo may not be as promising at this particular juncture but uh, but nevertheless the work that you've done helps consecrate that hope and and uh, and keep it alive so we just wanted to express uh, both admiration and appreciation for the work that you've done and and to you know to keep cheering you on along the way Thanks, Adil. I really, I really appreciate your love and support, buddy. I mean, it means it means a lot, and uh, I'm flattered. And so is uh, everyone involved that we're getting this exposure and support from wonderful people like you. So thanks a lot for helping me out, and thanks for giving us all this love and support. I appreciate it. Not at all. Not at all. Just basically recognizing the the work that's been done. So, uh, thought it's been an absolute pleasure. Is there a, sort of a take home message? Is there something that you want to leave our audiences with before? We bid you farewell and to promise to come back and, and have a conversation once uh, the rendezvous of victory comes along. Is there something that you want to leave <laughs> us with? I, I just, it would be awesome if people can watch the show. It's got English subtitles. Uh, all the episodes on YouTube are subtitled and a lot of them on, on Facebook as well. It'd be awesome if, if you can watch it. It's called Alashmelik in Arabic, uh, to your left in English. And if you search for it, you'll find it. And it's on the Revolutionary Socialists channel on YouTube and the same on, on Facebook. And more importantly, if more and more people on the left can create video content um, to spread our ideas, that would be the best way to support us. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it'd be great if we can spread our videos and get them out there and have more people watch them. But it'd be even better if we have different people creating their own version and takes of the video, spreading these progressive revolutionary ideas. And so I, I hope people can take over that space. And if we don't, uh, people on the right will take over it. I mean, look at all the likes of, you know, Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson and all these people who are take, trying to take over the space. So we need to actually fill the space on the, on the left and present our ideas and, and help each other and try to create a community of video content creators from all over the world spreading revolutionary messages. Well, that's amazing. That's great. Well, thank you so much, uh, Tarif, for an amazing conversation. Appreciate your time and, and your energy and the insight that you've helped us uh, glean. And look forward to having you back on Status very soon. Thanks, I really I appreciate it, buddy. I mean, it means it means a lot to me to give all the show all this love and support and to be so helpful and you know to care about all the details and it's this has been awesome. It's been a real pleasure and I'm looking forward to this. Thanks, Abdel. I appreciate it very much.
That was Tarek Shelabi, Egyptian revolutionary socialist, activist, techie, and producer of new episodes on Marxism in society called On the Left. Thank you for listening to Status Al-Wad. You've been listening to Status Audio Magazine. The Status is produced by the Arab Studies Institute in partnership with Voices of the Middle East and North Africa, co-sponsored by George Mason University's Middle Eastern Studies Program and the American University of Beirut's Asfari Institute for Civil Society and Citizenship. Interested in pitching an interview, a program episode, or becoming a partner, email our associate producer, Paola Messina, at paola at statushour.com To listen to more conversations, on-the-scene reports, and discussions, visit our website, statushour.com, or subscribe via iTunes and listen to us on the go. You can also friend us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and for more conversations, please visit statushour.com. Dot com.